chapter 16, starting in verse 19. You know, sometimes life just sneaks up on you. And something happens, and you weren't expecting it to at all. It's just the way that life works. And it happens to all of us. Uh, you're going to be going along, and something's going to change immediately that you had no control over. For better or worse, it's going to happen. And now you're going to have to deal with the effects of it. This is the 20th anniversary. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attack. And it's one of those events that you remember vividly where you were when that happened, if you were alive when that happened just 20 years ago now. So you'd have to be probably 24 to even remember it. But I remember exactly where I was and how everything stopped. And we all just looked at the TV when something happened that nobody thought could happen, nobody expected to happen, and was shocking and devastating all in one moment. This was not the first moment in U.S. history when this sort of thing happened, something that just shocked and devastated and came suddenly and by surprise. But we don't even have to go back 20 years for these sorts of events to happen. I can remember clearly what was going on in February of 2019 when we were all in here together going, so there's this virus, apparently, that's going to be coming this way, apparently. And then within the first week of March, it was in South Carolina. And then by the second week of March, people in South Carolina were dying from it. And then even this month, there are still people uh, catching and dying from COVID uh, in our area and around us. Uh, most grievously, even now, you, I keep going, all right, it'll blow over. It'll blow over. You know, all right, we got a vaccine now. We'll be good. It'll be all right. Uh, but even now, as it's being caught and spread by children more than it was at the beginning, there are parents of children in our school district who have been dying of COVID. Uh, in the last few months, which is an especial tragedy. These things happen, and they'll happen again. But it doesn't have to be nationwide or area-wide. Personal tragedy strikes as well. Perhaps it's an accident. You woke up that morning not knowing this was about to happen, and then there it is. Just an accident happens. Or a diagnosis that the week before you didn't think you'd get, and then here we are, an attack. And I don't want it to be all doom and gloom, because otherwise good things happen that you weren't expecting either. Amen. Certainly tragedy does, but certainly joy walks into our life when we weren't expecting it as well. I remember you know, one day in the fall, in, uh, in August... Of the year, what, 20, 2002 it was, when I was a freshman on campus in a new college, and then while getting registered, suddenly this girl walks by. <laughs> and everything changed all of a sudden in my life. Music started playing. I couldn't speak. I tripped and fell over. Everything changed that day. Things happen and they will happen again. When you start to think about it, we're in far less control over our lives than we think we are. Life isn't just something we do. It is go, work hard, live well. But it's also something that happens to us. 
And that's what the parable is that Jesus speaks about today. He talks about two men who are just living their lives. And then suddenly, the thing that comes to their life is something that comes to everyone's life. They die. And we get the rest of the story from Christ. Let's pray together and let's read this parable. Father God, I pray that the reading of Your Word, the hearing of Your Word, would be worshipful to You. And I pray that You would teach us so that we can know, so that we can believe, and so that we can obey You. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Now there was a rich man who was... Uh, who would dress in purple and fine linens, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. And he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's kitchen table. But instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day the poor man died, and he was carried away by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Being in torment in Hades, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he cried out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, Remember that during your life you received good things, just as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between you and us, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, I beg you, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and they have the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to him, they will repent. And Abraham told him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if somebody rises from the dead. Wild parable begins with the rich man and the poor man. The rich man, not named, but he's got everything. And he's got everything, everything. And so he doesn't just feast, he feasts, he feasts daily. He feasts all the time. And then there's this poor man, Lazarus, who has nothing, and not only has nothing, but also doesn't have health either and would love a simple bit of charity, even the scraps that fall off the table he would love. But not even those are offered to him. He simply sits at the gate and is grieved by life. And then something happens to both of them that happens to all people. They die. And we're not to understand this as a simple Class warfare, sort of Marxist, you know, the poor people are going to inherit and overcome and the rich people, you know, are all going to get punishment. It's not actually about wealth here, but how the life was spent. You have to read between the lines, but it's clearly there. This rich man 
He didn't live right. He had no concern for the poor who were sitting at his gate. It wouldn't have affected his lifestyle at all to share or take care of his neighbor. Even in Scripture, the question is asked, who's my neighbor? And the answer is at least the guy sitting out front of your house. And the rich man does nothing. Even coming into judgment. Who do, what does the rich man say about Lazarus? Order him around and send him over here so that he can take care of me and my need. The rich man still doesn't see Lazarus as anything but a slave. He still doesn't see any humanity or any worthiness there. Because Lazarus is not the focus of the story, nothing is said about him, except that he had nothing and that he was received into heaven. It must be, if you've read the rest of Scripture, it must be that he believed and trusted the Lord. But this sort of parable, it will disabuse you of any knowledge of the prosperity gospel that God blesses now everyone who he loves. Because obviously this is someone who is dear to the Lord, who lived righteously even though he lived in pain, in poor health, and in poverty. If you're living in poor health today, then this is a great story for you. Because if you share the faith of Lazarus, then you know you can share the results of Lazarus. If you're living in poverty today, we don't hold this against you as, man, you should have made better life decisions. Rather, we proclaim to you a gospel that regardless of your circumstances, the Lord has loved you and will receive all those who put their trust in Him. There are all sorts of reasons why people arrive at different stations in life, at different jobs, at different levels of health. Yeah, some are our doing, but far more of them are not. And that's less important than what we do with the lives that we have before God because the same salvation is offered to everyone and to all of them. So given the reality of general tragedy in life, given the reality that we're just not as in control as we think we are, and given the reality that everyone who is born and lives will someday die, what should we do today? First, Recognize that the stakes are incredibly high. Everything is at stake. Risk is the name of the game today. And everyone's taking all kinds of risks every day. We just live in a high-risk time. There's a lot of bad stuff going on out there. And at the same time, not everything is terrible. There's also a lot of good going on. We still somehow are awfully wealthy, more so than our parents. At any age, any place you are in life, probably... Uh, we are wealthier than the generation before us. It's just the way of it. Life is easier on us than it was. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, but amongst all of it, we're all making bets every day. The risk is high. Whether vaccined or not, we're all rolling the dice in a way here. But even more so, at least in my generation, as I talk to my friends, uh, we are more vested in the stock market than ever before. But in even more uncertain, risking, sort of gambling ways, I regularly have friends who talk like this, who say, so you own any crypto? You know, a phrase that wouldn't have made sense to anyone even 20 years ago. So you own any crypto? Any Bitcoin? That Dogecoin thing work out for you? How's that going? Me, I'm mining Ethereum. And uh, just nonsense words that are apparently sensical now. Do you own any GameStop? You know, any GME? AME? 
I have friends who talk like this and know about this sort of thing. Is all of us, perhaps that's in you and your circles as well, and perhaps not. Everyone's taking risks and betting things in large ways. But you have to realize that even if you're not foolishly betting on certain things in life, there's a lot at stake for all of us because we will all die and then comes judgment. See, the certainty of that, it will happen. The certainty of that means that what we do now matters, that we will all die and then comes judgment, means you first of all have to recognize that the stakes are high. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we were talking about uh, attempts to create morality aside from God, which may sound a little deep and a little hard, and it sure was. We're reading our Confronting Christianity book. We're asking questions like, does, does Christianity make people violent? Is that the reason for all these wars? Does Christianity cause people to act badly who might have acted well otherwise, uh, but now, you know, oppress people and treat others poorly? Obviously, if you know me, you'll know that the answer is no, I don't believe that. But we took those arguments seriously and we looked for answers to those. And, you know, one of the things is, it's easier to come to faith once you come to trust the reality of evil in the world. And it's harder to come to faith in God if you don't believe in evil. If your explanation for bad things in the world is just traumatized people. The problems with the world are therapeutic. And so the answers are also therapeutic. And what you need is to simply work through certain things in your life. And those people who have done bad things in the world, it's because of trauma. It's because of difficulties. And they simply need to work through those things. The answer to violence on streets is to send social workers onto streets and not police officers. And while it's true that, yeah, we have all, various people, have been traumatized by the sin other people have done against us, counseling, professional help is good in certain circumstances to help you develop skills to get through things. Our primary, our primary problem is not this. Our primary problem is that there's evil in the world. And things like what happened on September 11th and many other things since, make sure we remember regularly if you're thinking that maybe everybody's just all good all the time and, and you know just need to be given a chance to do good, you can be disabused of that notion by waiting just a little bit longer and seeing evil and evil actions of people or by even looking into your own life And recognizing we don't always do what we want to do and we don't always do what's good, but sometimes we do things that hurt the people around us. The things that we want are evil desires, not all good desires. On the one hand, to come to Christ, a clear view of evil is helpful for understanding that don't worry, there's also good. But also, in coming to trust Christ, A clear recognition that you will die one day is awfully important. This is something else we can day to day forget about as best we can, deceive ourselves of, stop thinking about and live a distracted life against the reality that is coming. But it is appointed, as scripture says, that we should all die and then comes judgment. We will have this day just like Lazarus and just like the rich man where we face God. So recognize that the stakes are very high. 
Everything, in fact, is at stake. And then second, be wise. Be shrewd is the word here. Shrewd is the word Scripture uses. Or wise is perfectly acceptable now. Change your life while there is yet time. Because as of today, for you who are listening, there is still time to put your trust in Christ. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 16, the whole chapter, really in order to get this last section about the rich man and Lazarus, you have to read the whole chapter. Because the whole chapter, Jesus is speaking about being wise and about being shrewd. It just builds up to this wise decision. A lot in the earlier chapter seems to just be about wealth. In fact, the first parable there in chapter 16 is about a dishonest manager. This guy whose reputation for being dishonest gets to the owner. And so the owner says, you're going to be fired. And then the dishonest manager does something shrewd. He does everything he can with the time that he has left in order to make friends for himself so that he will be taken care of when the day comes that he's no longer employed there. And it's an interesting parable because Jesus praises him. Listen, it's verse 8 of chapter 16. The master in this parable praised the unrighteous manager because he acted shrewdly. The children of this age are more shrewd than the children of the light in dealing with their own people. I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwelling. So you have to read that part to understand what's going on with the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, very specifically, does not follow this teaching of Christ. This do what you can now because the wealth is going to fail you at some point, and it fails that rich man at the very point where he dies and arrives before judgment, and his wealth means nothing. This wealth that he had that others didn't for the very purpose of helping and leading others, and he was not welcomed into this eternal dwelling because of the decisions that he made in this life. The decisions you and I are making today have eternal consequences because we will all go to judgment before God. We will all die. So I call you today, just as Christ has in this passage, to be wise about what decisions you make. Be shrewd and smart about what you do. God is on your side. He's not against you that you need to go and get right before you arrive. His desire is that you should be forgiven of your sins. This is why both Christ came and died on the cross to pay for our sins. See, the price has already been paid for everything you've done. But even more, this is why God has been so patient with you in your life. For some of you, decades. For some others of you, simply years. But the Lord has been patient with you. And for today, at least, remains patient that you can come and put your trust in him to change of the way that you've been living in reliance upon yourself and instead trust him. See, really, two options for living are presented here in this chapter. One option is, you know what? Let's eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. The other is being wise with the time, knowing that there will be an accounting. And this hasn't changed. And in fact, it's not even new when Christ comes here. That verse that I just quoted to you, it comes all the way back in the Old Testament from Isaiah. Since the very beginning, there have been people who had this attitude. You know what? Life's short. Let's have a good time. Let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. You know, let's just 
Let's make the most while we can, because that's the end of it. I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, low-budget indie movies, uh, independent movies. And uh, the fact that uh, distribution is so much easier with all sorts of streaming services now uh, makes this all the easier uh, for people to produce their low-budget indie movies. And oftentimes, they're kind of inspirational. Some tragedy happens in life. Some bad thing happens. Either a person dies, a family member dies, or, or something shifts. Somebody loses a job, and they go through a crisis, and then they come out of the end, by the end of the movie, out of this crisis, and life is supposed to be better, and be it like an old... I, I don't want to present any new examples, because I really don't recommend this to you. In fact, when I say I'm interested in low-budget indie movies sometimes that seem inspirational and kind of quirky and funny, uh, I know what you're thinking, which is, poor Meredith. And that's right. <laughs> poor Meredith has had to sit through some duds <laughs> with me. Uh, but there's a lot of these kind of vaguely inspirational, something bad happens, somebody you know, loses a mother, or gains an inheritance, things change, they go through a crisis where they have to decide what their life is all about. Imagine now decades ago, Little Miss Sunshine. You remember that one? There's a crisis and you have to go through something. But the end result in all these movies, the, the moral of the story is frequently just as much a dud as some of the movies themselves. You know what? Be kind to each other. Like That's the moral of the story. Given the fact that tragedy happens and people die and things are hard sometimes, you know what? Let's, why don't, let's be happy while we can. Why don't you be kind, love somebody? You know, go be nice to each other. That, as a moral to the story, facing death is just weak to me and unfulfilling. Hey, listen, we're all going to die, so let's just eat and drink and be merry and try to be nice to somebody out there and maybe find somebody to love in your life so that your life can be happier. I mean, but it mirrors a desire inside of all of us. You know, I talked to a counselor one time who said, oh, oh, anybody who comes into my office, I know exactly what they want. They can't say it, but I know what they're trying to say. And what they're trying to say to me is, I want to be happy all the time and never sad. Because <laughs> a lot of people come in, they can't articulate it that way, but that's what they want. Uh, excuse me, sir, can you make me happy all the time and never sad? He goes, first thing I have to let them know is, no, I can't. Nobody can. This life that the rich man leads is ultimately unfulfilling. This life of he has everything, he dresses nice, he lives lavishly. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. You know what? Just be happy. Find your truth in life. Enjoy it. The end is still the same. Death, and then comes judgment. And it offers no help for these things. But what Christ is teaching is the only help that there is to the problem of death. And that is, there is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, but there's also judgment. And it's going to be one or the other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if Christ isn't resurrected, then maybe we ought to go eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow we just die and that's it. But Paul has staked everything on the fact that Christ is resurrected. And so he endures all kinds of difficulty, suffering, sadness in his life. Because he knows that Christ is alive. And that Christ has offered this to everyone else. So be shrewd and be wise. And put your trust in Christ today. While there is time, go and offer your life to him. As we said last week, following Christ will cost something. It costs something for all of us. But you know what? It doesn't matter what it costs. It's always worth it. Go. Go. 
Put your trust in Christ today. The passage ends with a turn. The rich man seems to accept his fate. Abraham speaks to him. The man calls Abraham father. He is a descendant of Abraham. And Abraham speaks to him and says, my son. But he also says, it's too late. There's not an opportunity for you to come to where we are. You made your decisions. You had your time. And you had your time. And you had your time. And there's no longer time. Well, the rich man seems to accept this. And he turns from his own. Finally, he turns from thinking about himself. And he says, okay, well, what about my brothers? Send somebody to my brothers to warn them. I do not want them here where I am. He is suffering continually. I do not want my brothers here. Send someone. And what's the response? Father Abraham's verse 29 says, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they should listen to them. Scripture is a sufficient witness for conversion. Amen. How do you come to believe? By the word of God. This is why we talk about it so much. The, these words are more powerful than these words. And he says, you know, what would, you know what they need, those five brothers of yours? They need to go and read scripture. They need to go read Moses and all the prophets. They need to read scripture. And that will teach them. And what's the rich man say? No, no. But if somebody comes back from the dead. And he says, Abraham tells him in verse 31, if they didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Jesus clearly foretelling that though he was going to rise from the dead, still people would not believe. And in fact, when Christ is resurrected and the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples, thousands come to trust Christ. But many more still reject him. They wouldn't listen to scripture. They won't listen to some miracle either. Scripture is a sufficient witness. And their problem, these brothers, is that they won't listen. The problem of this rich man, he says, if they won't listen. Many times we can think, you know, that what we need is some better evidence. We just have some more evidence. They can have some more data on Christianity. This will convince me. There's some arguments that have convinced me this isn't true, that something else is true. But what he's saying here leads me to believe that most of the time for people, it's not a certain argument or evidence that really keeps them from trusting Christ, but that they won't hear the word, that you simply make a decision to trust some other argument, to trust some other witness, and we should not. It's not about a lack of evidence. It's about unwillingness when it comes down to it. He says they won't listen even if somebody returns from the grave. Christ did rise from the grave. And there is a witness that I've seen in people's life where they have come to trust the Lord. One of the most powerful arguments in favor of faith is the way it changes people's life. Our personal witness to how God has changed us. What I'm saying is, is perhaps you being saved and converted and changed by God is the person coming back to life to witness to these other people. You know, I knew a kid who was crazy. <laughs> I, knew, I knew a kid at church who was the crazy one. Uh, who, his family didn't come to church. The kid was rough. The church kind of took care of him and accepted him. Not here, long ago at another church. 
Church tolerated the kid. He had no discipline. He was always out of hand. He always had to be redirected. But that church loved him and put up with him and dealt with him and redirected him and welcomed him and taught the word to him. And you know what? He trusted Christ when he was 13 or 14, and it changed his life. It's like a different kid was there. Like the old one was buried and a new one was alive. And then not long after that, his father comes to church and says, I I don't believe this stuff, but I've seen that. And I believe that. So I know there's a God who changes people's life because I've watched it happen. That is to say, you who have been changed by Christ, we are for people around us in a certain way, the ones who have come back from the dead. I used to live this life, but Christ has changed me and given me a new life, and he will do it for you as well. This is what we're talking about with this who's your one that I'd love for you to participate with. We have these prayer books still available for you in the lobby, and so you can go out to the lobby, and you can grab one of these books, and every day just commit to praying for the same person for 30 days straight. That's what the leaves on the tree in the lobby are for if you missed that one. Just writing down names of our friends who we're praying for and putting them on there so we can pray together in a visual way and see it. You don't have to have started on the first week. You can go pick up one of these books today and begin praying for somebody that you love or care about. Because God has been gracious and patient with them. But there comes a day, and we don't know when, when it will be their last chance. For those of you who have spent weeks praying for somebody, then perhaps today is the day when you need to go tell them and go talk to them and go share with them today. You know, as a last application, we don't do this often, but we're about to go to Sunday school. Service is about to be over, and I hope you go along to Sunday school. But uh, by all means, go to Sunday school. But if you haven't gone to Sunday school before, or you don't attend a Sunday school for whatever reason, I tell you what, let's have a little time, you and me, in here afterwards. So everyone, if you go to Sunday school class, go to your Sunday school class. But if you hadn't or don't know of one or or haven't gone to one for whatever reason, then come in here and sit down with me and let's just talk a little bit. We'll we'll start off with a QA, and a a questions and answers about the sermon. But then let's also read one of these days together. And let's spend some time together praying for some people. And so whoever else you are, new, guest, Go use the restrooms, mill around in the lobby for a minute. I'm going to shake some hands, and then we'll come back in here and just sit right down front, and let's have a good time together and chat today, just this Sunday only, and and have some time to discuss these things. Because the stakes are high, impossibly high. And so you need to be shrewd and wise with the time that you have. And finally... Just as this rich man said, please send someone to warn them. So Christ has chosen to send us who believe. You know, tragedies happen. They just come like that. But so do joyful moments. Perhaps this week, you will be the joyful moment in someone else's life where they go, you know, I wasn't looking for it, but someone just appeared in my life one day. Life was going along and going along, and then someone came into my life and said, God cares about you. He changed my life, and he'll change yours also. Perhaps this week will be the week when you are the phenomena in life that comes into somebody unexpected and changes everything for the better.
Father God, I thank you that you are so gracious and so patient with us. I pray that you would open our eyes, strengthen our hearts to trust you, and to bear witness to the change. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.